your Bibles, would you open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 21. If you've, all you've got is a phone, that works. Look it up there too. Let's stand together as we read from God's word. Genesis chapter 21. We continue on in the life of Abraham and Sarah. It says this, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And, and Sarah said, God has, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15, when the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. It is very true, isn't it? Accidents do happen. Accidents happen, especially when you're two. Stupid mistakes. They, sometimes you, you can see them coming. 
Sometimes those mistakes, they just take you completely by surprise. There's one insurance company that would, would have you believe that mayhem is lurking around every corner. Some people just say, they just say, life, life happens. And what they mean is that tragedy, it strikes, things wear out, promises are broken, people get sick, relationships, they ebb and flow, so does the economy, so does weight. It's the nature of reality. And the Bible says that it's the nature of reality post-Genesis chapter 3. That is, after Genesis chapter 3, when the first man and the first woman made that fateful decision to strike out on their own and do things their own way rather than God's way, that's when things just went sideways. And since that time, we've lived in this, this flawed, faulty, fragmented, fearful-filled world. Frankly, a world that is falling apart. Life, it happens. And no one escapes it, right? No one escapes it. No one gets to step out of line and skip the show. The Apostle Paul, he didn't. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, life happens. Thankfully, often, not to the extent to which Paul experienced it, but it's happened. It's happening. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. And the question, the question is, are you in good hands? Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had their share of ups and downs. In obedience to God, they left. They left Ur. They set out for a place that God would show them. They experienced the thrill of trusting God, of stepping up, of stepping out, striking out, risking it all in pursuit of the promise that God had given them. And on their way, they, well, they had moments of doubt. And they felt the pain of their mistakes. And yet every time they saw God working through their unsavory behavior and their strolls through these dark seasons, they saw God working to strengthen their trust in him. He was the one who had called them out of darkness. He was the one who preserved them, who protected them through times of uncertainty. And when they walked in faith, well, they saw God uphold them. But those moments, those times when they were faithless, when they fumbled in disbelief, well, even in those times, they were shown the folly of their distrust and were reminded 
that God's way is still and always has been the best way. By far the biggest obstacle that they faced was this invisible barrier that seemed to be preventing them from having children. Just like many couples today, having children, it was very, very important to them. And what compounded their desire for children was this promise that God had made to them. This promise he made to Abraham that he would become a great nation. That through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. That his offspring would be as impossible to count as the stars in the sky. But all of that rested upon he and Sarah's ability to have a child. We gotta have a kid. And it wasn't happening. And they waited. They waited. And nothing happened. Years passed by. The window of opportunity, it, it closed. This isn't working. Maybe you should just have a child with, 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 with my maidservant, Abraham. Maybe, maybe God will, will bless that and work through that child. Because at this point, you and I both know there's no way I'm going to have a kid at my age. And so Sarah's Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, gives birth to Abraham's first son, Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the one whom God had promised. In chapter 17, verse 18, we find that out. It says, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael will be the heir that you promised. And I see how it's going to work now, God. You wanted me to do this. You were just waiting for me to step out and, and make a move. And, and now you're going to work through Ishmael. But God said, No. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac." whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. At that point, Abraham was 99 years old. And Sarah is just 10 years younger than him. In God's word, it, it sounded completely ridiculous. It sounded impossible. In fact, it was laughable. Laughable. In fact, when Abraham first heard the news, that's what he did. In Genesis 17, 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? When Sarah heard the three men talking outside of her tent, saying that she was going to have a child, Chapter 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? In her mind, having a child at this age is 
crazy talk. It's just crazy talk. But God said to Abraham, is anything too difficult for the Lord? His name would be Isaac, the Hebrew word for laughter. And yes, it was absolutely laughable for Sarah to have a child. All signs pointed to the idea is just absolute lunacy. And yet God, God knew who would have the last laugh. He knew. In fact, the surprise and disbelief would be so mind-blowing that it would evoke uncontainable laughter. That's what Sarah sings out here in our passage today. In verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. In fact, scholars say that as they look at the the verbiage here and the structure of, of what she says, they say this is a song that she wrote. It's a song of laughter. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. (laughs) That 90-year-old Sarah should be holding her own baby in her arms was laughable. It was hilarious. It was so wonderfully good, so overwhelmingly joyous. It it was the fulfillment of God's promise. She just couldn't keep silent. You know, as amazing as this is, scholars will point out that what's really amazing here is you've only got a few verses that Moses dedicates towards Sarah having a child. What an anticlimactic, uh, insufficient way of describing how God creates this incredible miracle, this fulfillment of this promise that we've been waiting for for so long, so many chapters we've been laboring over this, laboring alongside Abraham and Sarah, waiting, is it going to happen, is it going to happen, is it going to happen? And then the Lord visited Sarah and he said, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he promised. It's, it's like not enough. Been so much buildup. But Moses doesn't hype it up. He doesn't go into you know, paragraphs and paragraphs about how wonderful this is. He doesn't go into all the details. No, he we don't get any of that. And I think that's intentional. I think he does that or doesn't do that because he knows that what is absolutely incredible to us is no big deal for God. No big deal. And just like the creation of heaven and earth, this miracle took zero effort for God. He, he speaks. Things happen. He's God. What he says will be. If he says it's going to happen, you can be sure it's going to happen. You can count on it because God keeps his word. He keeps his word. This was true when Abraham was called out of Ur, back when his name was Abram. This was true as he traveled. It was true as he lived uh, and tried to avoid uh, the, the famine in the land and went down to Egypt. 
It was true as he lived by the oaks of Mamre. It was true as he sojourned in Gerar, Philistine territory, from the very beginning. And each step of the way, whether he knew it, was aware of it or not, Abraham was in good hands. Are you in good hands? Doesn't always feel that way, does it? Giant obstacles, opposition stand in our path, our awareness of his good hands. They're somehow overshadowed, aren't they? Our view is so full of our circumstances that, that, that God and his sovereignty and his sufficiency and his faithfulness, his goodness, it, it, it's out of the frame. Who God is, it just kind of fades out of focus and out of sight. And it wasn't long before Abraham and Sarah's awareness of God good, God's good hands, it dimmed as well. Two or three years after Isaac was born. We know it's two or three years because that's the time when, when children were weaned in, in those days. Two or three years had gone by. Their great source of joy and laughter, it was still there, but dark clouds were gathering. There was a potential threat that seemed to be on the horizon. It was materializing, and its name was Ishmael. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, doesn't even mention him by name in this chapter, saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. A lot of laughing going on in this passage, isn't there? First it was Sarah who gave birth to Isaac, but now that Isaac's about two or three years old, more laughter could be heard. But this laughter was a different kind of laughter. This is the laughter of mockery. Now, Ishmael may have been Abraham's firstborn son, but Ishmael was not going to be the heir of the, promised, of the promise. And apparently, when dad threw this big party for Isaac, Ishmael is not liking it. In fact, apparently he's filled with jealousy, and he laughs, a laugh of mockery. We know that from the, the, the actual verbiage here. Paul tells us in Galatians 4.29 that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Now, that doesn't mean he did anything violent against him. It doesn't mean that he poked him with sticks it doesn't mean that he drop-kicked him or pile-drived him or power-bombed or any other pro-wrestling moves. It doesn't mean he did anything like that to Isaac. But Sarah could tell that something wasn't right. And she comes to the conclusion that if things continue down this trajectory we seem to be on here, it's not going to be good. And here, once again, Sarah had every reason to believe that she was in good hands, and yet she's compelled to take matters into her own hands. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. I mean, come on. 
But why pray for God to do something when you can take care of it on your own? There's an easy solution. Abraham, I got the solution right here. So she said to Abraham in verse 10, cast out this slave woman with her son. We don't need him anymore. For the son of the slave woman shall not be your heir, shall not be heir with my son Isaac. There's not going to be any competition here. What a terrible thing to suggest. What a heartless thing to suggest, especially for a follower of God, a believer. Awful. Cast them out? Are you serious? This is wrong. Anyone could see that. We read in verse 11 that the idea was displeasing to Abraham. You think? (laughs) No kidding. This is his firstborn son. He loved him. He raised him. Some 16 years have gone by. He's watched him grow up into a young man. And now he's just supposed to cast him out like yesterday's garbage? should say he's displeased. Even though Abraham having a son with Hagar was Sarah's idea to begin with, she was never really happy. Never really happy with the idea of Ishmael. In fact, back in chapter 16, we're told that when Hagar got pregnant, well, Sarah all of a sudden felt very intimidated. She felt like Hagar was looking down on her. Verse 6 told us that Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar, causing Hagar to flee. She takes off. And yet God comes and he intervenes and he brings Hagar back to the family. But now the tables have turned. Now Sarah has a child. And Sarah is again with Hagar, uh, feeling uncomfortable. Uncomfortable with this teenage son. I think that having heard Ishmael's mockery of Isaac, Sarah's fears, I think, are legitimate. I think absolutely. There was tension there. This could have been a negative trajectory they were on. This is real stuff, but there's no excuse for the cruelty that she insisted upon. After all, this was her mess. This is from Abraham and Sarah. They're the ones responsible for it. No one else, because of their sin, the issues with Hagar and Ishmael, they're there. It's their fault. Now, Abraham resists. But God's good protecting hand intervenes. Verse 12, God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. What is going on here? Is God validating Sarah's plan, Sarah's idea? Is Sarah in the right after all? And people are just useless. They're just trash. We could just throw them away whenever we don't need them anymore. No, that's not the case. He's not validating Sarah's cruel intentions. But what he is doing here is what he does all the time. He brings good from the bad that we have made. And some people says, say when, when um, life gives you lemons, 
you make lemonade. But the reality is, when we make a mess of our lives because of our rebellion against God, because of our sin, God can make something good out of it. He makes beautiful things out of the dust. And that's what we'll see later on in Genesis in the life of Joseph. Joseph would suffer terrible injustice at the hands of his brothers. And yet he'd come to a point where he tells them, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He can bring good from the bad that we have made. And that's what God would ultimately do on the cross. <laughs> the greatest evil that has ever been committed. When people like you and me sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to his death, and yet even in that darkest event, God would bring about the greatest good humanity has ever known. The way to be forgiven our sin, to be washed clean, to be made right with him, to be given the hope of heaven. You and I are in good hands, despite the messes that we have made of our lives. And that's because God not only works in spite of our sin, in his sovereignty, he's able to work through it as well to bring about his plan and his purposes. And just like he did for Abraham, he's able to work through our mess to draw us into deeper understanding of himself and to lead us to trust him and to love him even more. Romans 2.4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, to lead us to turn around and come back to him because he's so good. Maybe like me, you've seen him show his kindness towards you, his patience, his offer of forgiveness, even for the worst things that you have done. He's led you in his goodness to worship him all the more because he's good. Are you in good hands? Even in this tense moment, Sarah, Abraham, and Isaac, they were in good hands. God provides for Isaac's safety despite the mess that his parents have made. But someone might say, whoa, 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 whoa. what about Hagar? What about Isaac or Ishmael? Does God not care about them? I mean, it, it, he just cares about Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. He just cares about his special family and everyone else. They can, they can get lost. How could he allow this terrible thing to happen to them? As we read on, we see a heartbreaking scene. Absolutely heartbreaking. Mom and son, they're given water. They're given food. Okay, that's nice. How much water? How much food? They're sent on their way. And it doesn't go well. Before too long, all of their provisions are completely spent. From several yards away, Hagar can't even be close to Ishmael because things are getting so bad. I, I, I can't bear to watch this happen to my son. He, he's over there. I, I put him in the shade of a bush and death is not far off. Where was God's good hand there? In desperation, sobbing, Hagar cries out to God for mercy. Mercy. 
And that's when we see God's good hand respond to her need. An angel says, verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? He knew. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Uplift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Moments later, a well comes into view. Hope is restored. Life is saved. And we read, and God was with the boy. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the, bo- with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. In her time of need, Hagar looks up. She looks up to the only one who can give her hope, the only one who has help to offer her, and she found herself in good hands. Are you in good hands? mayhem, it's a thing. Accidents, stupid mistakes, even intentional, eyes wide open choices that bring self-harm, those things occur. Life, it, it happens. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. But there are good hands you can find yourself in. Why are they good hands? Let me just give you a few things in the moments we have left. They're good. God's hands are good because he keeps his word. He keeps his word. You cannot undervalue that. You and I are frequently unfaithful, but he is flawlessly faithful. The Bible says if we're faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13. He's true to his word. You can trust him. You can rely on him. Nothing's too big. Nothing's too spectacular. Nothing's too wonderful for him. And not only are his hands good because he keeps his word, but they're also good because his word promises good. God's intention was not just to bring good to Abraham or to Sarah or to Isaac, or Hagar, or Ishmael. Everything that we've been reading about here in this, in this uh, account here is really not about them. This is about us. This is about God's incredible work to pave the way for his promise to bring good to you and to me. As he worked to bring Abraham and Sarah that, to that point, and give them a son. As he worked to protect that son, he was laying out the path that would ultimately lead to Jesus, the promised one, the Savior of the world, who we're going to celebrate in a month or so. It's because of God's great love for broken, rebellious, hopeless people like you and me that he sent Jesus that we might not be punished for our sin, but be forgiven and restored to him. That's what Jesus talks about in John 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is the beautiful thing for you and for me. Jesus has already come. He's already come. 
The mission has already been completed. The price has already been paid. This is the third thing. You're good. That God's word promises, the word that he keeps, that good has already been purchased. It's already been purchased. You and, I are, you and I are in good hands. If we've confessed our sin, our need, if we've turned from our sins, if we've placed our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross, if you haven't done that, the good that Jesus came to give you, that's at will call. It's at will call. There are no upfront costs. There are no hidden fees. There's no monthly premiums here. It's all been taken care of. It's already purchased, but it's waiting for you to experience and enjoy as you trust in Jesus. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, now is the time to go pick up your ticket. Go pick it up. Now's the time to trust in Jesus. If you haven't placed yourself in his good hands, do it now. You need to trust him now because John 3.18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned. What an incredible, what an incredible, wonderful thing. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Yes, God is, is good. Yes, the forgiveness that he offers you and me through Jesus Christ, that is a free gift, and it's waiting for you. But you don't have all the time in the world to pick it up. The fact of the matter is, if you've not placed your trust in Jesus, then you already stand condemned just like I already stood condemned. Condemned for the rebellion against my Creator. Condemned for going my own way instead of His way. Condemned for trusting in myself rather than Him. And if your time runs out and the gift of Christ is not applied to your life, then you're up a creek. You'll stand before the righteous judge just as I would have, and you'll face the full force of the judgment that you deserve because you're condemned already. That's the whole reason for all of this drama that we read here, for this inc incredible plan that we see God unfolding here, this, all this intentionality, all this, all this effort that's here, all this anticipation. It's because God's love is so great for condemned people like you and me. It's good. These are good hands that we have before us, and they want to bring good to you. But you got to say, Lord, yeah, I want that. I trust you. I need that. God, I want that incredible gift of Jesus Christ. The time to trust Jesus, to place your faith in him, to place yourself in good hands, that's now. If you haven't done that before, let me encourage you to just say, Lord, I do need you. Without you, I am condemned for my sin. Thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you for the one you sent to take my sin completely away. Thank you for the one you sent to give me a hope and a future. Thank you for the one you sent to bring me from death to life. Would you do that? For those of us that have placed our trust in Jesus, why is it so hard for us to remember the good hands that hold us tight? Why is it that just about every single obstacle that comes our way, be it financial, be it medical, be it relational, or whatever else, why is it that like Abraham and Sarah, we panic? We panic and try to come up with our own solutions, and that's when we totally freak out. Like that song says that we sing from time to time, why do I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need. He knows what I need. If we're in his hands, we're in good hands, unfailing, all-powerful, ever-faithful hands. Let's continually remind each other of whose hands we're in. As we face trials, as we face temptations, hardships of many kinds, let's not forget the good hands that we are safely resting in. Let's call on them like Hagar. Let's rely on them. Let's hold fast to them like a child grips mom or dad's hand with ferocity. And let's encourage one another to run to those hands. Would you pray with me?